Today's episode of the Andy Greenwald podcast is brought to you by Jaguar, the art of performance. To learn more about the all-new Jaguar XE, visit jaguarusa.com. Hello, my name is Andy Greenwald. This is my podcast, which is now exclusively part of the Watch Podcast feed and part of the Ringer Podcast Network. You can subscribe to the show by subscribing to The Watch on your iTunes, your SoundClouds, your Stitchers, and I hope that you do. Guys, I'm so happy to be back doing these interview podcasts. It's been a minute, mostly because I was moving across the country, but that's no excuse. I had to bring you the piping hot content. And we have some content for you today with a truly uh, special guest. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the creator, writer, and star of the new BBC slash Amazon series Fleabag. All six episodes of the series are streaming now on Amazon, and I strongly, strongly, strongly suggest that you check them out. It is an incredibly uh, funny, body, ultimately emotionally devastating, and sneaky brilliant series. I, I was about to call it a comedy, but it's not really a comedy, which is what makes it so good. Uh, I think you'll watch the first episode and you'll like it and you think you know what it is. And then you'll watch the second, the third, and then by the fourth, you'll be blown away. I certainly was. And I mentioned that to Phoebe in this great interview. Um, she's been over from London for a few days here in LA having meetings and not going to the beach, which is something we talked about. Um, but mostly we talked about her creative process, how hard it is to write, um, which she seemed genuine about but then again she also wrote and created and starred in two tv shows this year her other show crashing is on netflix now so i don't know how seriously to take her but you should all take her very seriously as a talent to watch and hopefully an interview guest to listen to uh let's get into it my conversation with phoebe waller bridge in my experience limited no one loves los angeles like british people no one with the intensity with the ardor with the commitment and i don't know if that's been your experience i love it i do love it i think i've had quite a charmed (laughs) experience of it you you, you stole john snow's coat but i've lost um i've lost many friends to la Mm. because um, they yes they come yeah they fall in love they fall hard and i think the um what's mainly it's mainly the uh, the promise of sun every day. I think that's it. Which, from and what I gather, is not one of the selling points of London. Not right? one of the, the common reasons people <laughs> no. cite for uh, moving to London. No. Um, although we've done pretty well. We had like two weeks of it this, this year, how this did, summer so far. How did people handle it? Oh, they panicked. I think they kind of opened all the prisons and let <laughs> <laughs> everyone out. <laughs> Start over. They clothes off and everyone sort of, you know... Incest took hold, and <laughs> all, all the stereotypes melted away instantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but everyone's got back together now because you know it's sort of raining again last week, so we're all fine, back to normal. Well, that's good. But, um, but yeah, I love it. I love it here. It's really cool. I haven't quite like done the beach days or anything yet, which right. I know are a big pull. Have you done a beach day? I did. I did the first week here. We we went three times, and then I told someone that, and they said, "Oh, you're new. I haven't been in six months." <laughs> Like, it's, like, passe to do that. Over it. Just there. No, and then the worst are the people who say, oh, I'm so glad it's cloudy today. Give me a break. (laughs) Give me a break. You know where where it's cloudy? Literally everywhere else. Everywhere else. Everywhere else. I know. It is magic. It really is magic, yeah. Tate, are we we going? Because I thought that was gold. We could just call it there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, it's, it's the local, get the local spirit, yes. get people into it. Um, I will do an intro, but I'll reintroduce you. Okay. Phoebe Wellerbridge is here drinking a, a boxed water um, mm. 
which is a rare commodity here in California. The box water? Just the water, I think. Oh. <laughs> the boxes they've got. Yes, because I've, I've seen a lot of boxes. They've got plenty of, yeah, water. there's plenty of room for that. Um, very excited to speak to you. Uh, your Likewise. series, Fleabag, is on uh, streaming all six episodes on Amazon now, mm-hmm. originally made for BBC Three. Uh, Correct. I love the series very much. <laughs> um, but what I wanted to, to say initially was my my love of the show blossomed as the series went on. Mm-hmm. I liked the, the first episode very much, and I said, oh, I understand what the show is. And then I continued watching it, and I realized my assumption was wildly off base. I did not understand <laughs> what the show was. It was, in fact, a much deeper, much better, much richer show. Oh, and it really goodness. rewarded the viewing, especially it was the fourth episode where I completely fell in love and then was floored by the end of it. And I was curious how much of that was in your mind as you were preparing the series, because one of the gifts of a television show or series is you can develop something. You can bring people, bring an audience in and then bring them deeper. But at the same time, you want to give them a sense of what the show will be and pacing becomes so important. Mm -hmm. So as you were adapting the series from a a one woman show that you had done at Edinburgh, what, um, talk to me about that thought process of how you were going to space it out. How are you going to build in those pauses and those revelations to give it the effect that, that I experienced? It was, it was deliberate to start to kind of try and do a, slight magic trick with oh you think this is a a kind of slightly bawdy sexually voracious kind of female character that's just like you know having a wild time about town right <laughs> and um start start like that to hopefully reel people in with that feeling like they feel comfortable and then um yeah and then slowly let her um misery and pain creep to the surface right. <laughs> creep to the surface um just in the same way i thought I, was, I kept thinking about it like if you met somebody that had a very um considered front and then eventually you see that front fall away the better you get to know them or the more time you spend with them so that was kind of the the um the idea behind it but then some bits really really surprised me like i didn't know i hadn't planned to write um, there's that one scene in, in Ep Four, with, and she's sat on the log with the with the bank manager. Yeah, this is the scene that is and just. And, yeah. and, and I should say to the audience, I, I hope people watch the whole series before hearing us. We will maybe provide light spoilers, but we're not going to give away all <laughs> yes, of it. We'll, but... we'll flirt with the information. Exactly. This, is, this would all be <laughs> in the trailer anyway. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and yeah, so that bit didn't actually. Um, I knew I knew the feeling of needing something to drop in that episode. Yes. Because in some ways, it's kind of um, it was slightly more. Um, sitcom actually it starts off with the kind of this uh, you know it's a kind of a little road trip movie that turns into a kind of bottle episode with the kind of weird sub- subplot of these men and I just felt really like I needed to um, just land something and it's actually my sister who wrote the music for the um, for the whole show oh, wow. she'd sent me this track um, ages so I'm going a bit off, off piece here but um, she'd sent me this track which is um, The Gloaming written by The Gloaming um, which actually, unfortunately, I don't think is in the Amazon version. But she sent me that uh, track. She was like, this is just a beautiful piece of music. And I listened to it, and I just wrote that scene. And mm. I was like, Swid, where's this going to go? <laughs> and then I just kind of squidged it into four, because I was like, this is the drop that it needs. So it actually wasn't... It, 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 it was a kind of happy accident that that came about. It's interesting that you're, you're referring to it in musical terms, because there is a sense, particularly in that episode, but, but throughout, of mm. rhythm and of pacing that is melodic. And that episode... Um, Prior to the way that episode does end, there's a moment where it, it could end. There's like a pre-ending where yeah. a different version of the show might end, where there's a moment of, um, I don't know, you could call it reconciliation between the sisters, or it's a very beautiful moment. It doesn't end there. There's a follow-up <laughs> to that that is a little bit more upsetting. And yeah. there's a, then there's this last beat that brings it to a new place and a, and a new level. 
do you think about your writing that way? Do you do you, do you think of it as like an unfinished song that it does need that that last that last beat, that last lyric to to bring it to the place that you want to end the episode? Yes. Do you mean that as, as a whole or just that episode four? In general, you're writing, but, general. but but it sounds like that applied to this episode. Yeah, I really I feel like catharsis is a really um, is a thing that I always try to aim for. Never ne- never necessarily know what it's going to be or the moment that the that, that all the strings pull together but I think the moment that you land on it the moment that I land on it I know that it's right but um, but I think it's important to drive to um, drive to a particular place of revelation or a particular place not to complete the story or not to end the story but but that moment of feeling like oh I now understand what I've been watching right. um, on a deeper level suddenly like and that was that was really um that was really the ambition for it. So you, again, so you keep feeling like you know the show again and again, over and over again, and then the rug keeps being pulled. Hopefully. But you keep pulling. That's right, because you give you keep giving us something, but it's not um, it's not an easy. It's not everything. It's not everything. <laughs> it's not easy. You're not you're not you're not just you know squaring off the. the I, I was going to use a um, some sort of woodworking metaphor, but I don't oh, understand do. woodworking. <laughs> So I was really, I was Some out kind there. of wood corner situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Almost as if you had a piece of wood and you sanding it. Sanding it. This is this is this is America's yeah, most I love, popular I love woodworking like podcast. Messy. Um, messy woodwork endings. I like <laughs> it when like there's like maybe one spiky corner and the other one's really smoothed out. I think, um, yeah, I think like life never. Like, it's really funny talking about the idea of a second series for, for Fleabag because even though in some ways this is sort of perfect, um, I'm in the stage now when I'm kind of deciding what to, what to do, mm-hmm. whether to carry it on or not, because in some ways I've completed the story of her. Right. Um, but in others, I, the thing I keep asking myself was if it was real life, if this really was happening to her, then the next day would just happen. Yes. And, and what would happen in the next day for her there? And that's actually, the, that's actually really challenging, even, you know, whatever happens, whether I decide to do it or not. But... Um, but that challenge of, but what if it was real? What if yeah. this really did happen? There would have to be a new beginning. But that's also the difference, I think, between between film and television, where in many ways Fleabag ends in a very filmic place, where we there ha- it's clear there would be more re- repercussions. People aren't solved. Things aren't fixed. But we're left in a place where we understand where we've been and where maybe we're going. Yeah, but on yeah, TV... Yeah. You could keep going, yeah, and maybe there's and, and people until want. they die. <laughs> exactly, which is totally unlike movies because there's no such thing as sequels. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Stories <laughs> always end exactly where they're where they're yeah. left. Um, the I, I want to circle back to more of the origins, but since we were talking about episode four, um, the specific conceit is that your character and her sister Claire go to a, a, a basically a silence <laughs> retreat, yeah. and I thought it was very interesting choice because silence can be um, terrible for a writer. You know, silence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you kind of always want there's a there's a, a desire that I that I found and I'm sure other writers feel the same way. You kind of want to be clever. You want to answer the questions you ask. Um, the blankness mm-hmm. on the page is sort of the enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but silence is so crucial, particularly to to, to filmed entertainment and to TV. Mm-hmm. And there's a real beauty to this episode and to the series where you let things you let things lie. Yeah. You, is that difficult for you as a writer? Do you do you fight the urge to to scribble in? <laughs> Everything, or is it more natural? Yes, massively overwrite everything <laughs> first, and then it's about pulling it back. I think, I think. Also, I hate exposition with such a passion. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing, but like having to explain yourself over and over. Oh yeah. And um, but but knowing that, and that and that means that I end up writing these really really long. <laughs> 
scenes when people yeah. are subtly dropping in. <laughs> like sure. What could easily just be done with a with a line? Um, Someone saying, "I'm unhappy." Yes, exactly. It could just be done. It's just six minutes. And there episodes. was one scene at the end of ep five, which was like a three page scene at the end between the sisters and they're outside the father's house. Oh. And I, that's what I was about to ask you. No go way. on, yeah. And, sh- and that, um, that scene, I arrived on set and I did it with Sean, um, the actress who played my sister. And as we were reading it out, I was like, um, no, 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 this is terrible. And, um, and then uh, I just looked at Sean. She knows the look in my eyes. She was like, okay. And she just put the sides down. She was like, what are we going to be doing then? And I basically boiled it down to four things that she absolutely had to say. And the rest of it just fell away. Um, and so I think it's, I do think you do have to write everything down first and then strip it away but also I think TV is quite is very dialogue heavy in a way yes. that film isn't um, doesn't have to be it can be I mean the idea of visual storytelling is, is much um, it's much more sort of lauded in the film world and then once I'd come up with a joke first of wouldn't it be funny if they had to go to a silent retreat <laughs> um, then I thought there was a moment when I thought god wouldn't it be cool if I could do the whole thing yeah. in silence um, but it just sort of started to feel gimmicky and started to feel like when are they going to when am I going to give up <laughs> to, trying to do this? And um, and the idea that it's punctuated by people who are being forced to talk and shout. Yeah. Um, but I love the kind of like the the idea of it suddenly becoming a bit more filmic and a bit more, and the, the tension that that silence can bring between them was well that moment. I, I love that you mentioned that because I, I have it written down here that one of my favorite moments in the series is in episode five after a very tense. Uh, mm-hmm. celebratory uh, memorial lunch <laughs> um, where everything possible goes wrong and, and in the midst of that that lunch um, Claire erupts and something very profound is said yeah. something that has been underlying the entire series and a relationship that we're slowly beginning to understand more about mm. and there is no response to it there is silence um, and then when they do reconcile a little bit outside it's still never really mentioned again <laughs> it's so British that as well like <laughs> Until until the recent heat wave, it was pretty. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Unless there's a heat wave, um, yeah. That I love. I love that um, that inability to. That, and it is it is British, but I mean a lot. I mean you know it's human as well. The embarrassment of raw emotion, but yeah. um, and that everything needs to, everyone needs to be you know um, on top of everything, and everyone needs to be dealing with everything in a polite way. And that, and I just love throwing a big emotional fireball into that and then seeing everybody squirm and well, not being able to address it. Yeah, It's particularly good because, um, you know, traditionally a, a situation, a sitcom, um, everything is resolved at the end of the half hour. Yeah. And I think similarly drama, the hour-long drama has fallen into a similar rut where everything is escalated at the end of the hour. Someone dies, then it's go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, things don't really hang in the same way and you can't make people as uncomfortable in the same way as you can when they're expecting to laugh and then suddenly you punch them in the stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this, it's remarkable that you found space in the show for these truly, these not just the truly human moments, but for the people to just sort of own them and then live in them. Mm. And you can't, they can't fix each other. Yeah, and they can't, I think so much of it was about people trying to connect with each other and having such a... Uh, a deep inarticulacy about however smart they are. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the lack of emotional articulacy that they can't that that, that cripples them really. And that you know, it's just for me, it's the it's all about the moments when people almost connect or the moments yeah. that they do, which is just so sublime. And they don't have to be 
tidy or perfect or the, the big speech at the end of the movie, you know, when they manage to say perfectly in order everything they've yeah. ever felt and will feel about a person. That doesn't sort of work like that so much. And sometimes it can be a messy, um, a messy comment somebody makes, but you know that the subtext of that comment means that they love that person. And, it's, yeah. you know, it's those little moments. And the rest of it can be, you know jokes or <laughs> or whatever or slapstick or whatever you like but I'm um, constantly driving between those moments particularly with the sisters but that was like the love story of the of the um, season for me I just really wanted them to go on a kind of classic kind of rom-com, oh, rom-com journey to me that was the heart of the of the show and I, I did want to, to mention so you, and thankfully you corrected me on how to pronounce her name so the actress is, is Sean Clifford who plays Sean Claire Clifford. not C-A-N-A so Clifford please, please stop calling her that which I definitely didn't do um, be like me do it correctly from the beginning it's really a remarkable performance um, mm. uh, how did you meet her did you know her before this because you can't fake this kind of relationship oh you can because you're professional actors but on a certain <laughs> level yeah no we've known each other for years we trained oh, together good. at drama school and um and had always desperately wanted to play sisters and strangely it was like eight years ago or something I'd written a short play just when I was kind of just finding my way um around writing a little bit I wrote this short play between two sisters and I cast her as um as one of them, and actually a different girl um, played um, the kind of slightly scattier sister. But that scene ended up being in Fleabag, which is in the pilot when they're at the um, the, uh, the, lecture. the lecture and they throw their hands up in the air together. And that scene, and so weirdly, you know, she's play, been playing that part in my heart <laughs> for like years. And um, But we just, yeah, having that natural rapport, you get so much for free. And also she's an astonishing actress and she's mainly done theatre yeah. you know, up until now. And um, it felt, she was one of the things in the show that I was like I'm about to like expose this massive secret <laughs> that oh. Sean Clifford is a genius <laughs> on TV as well as on the screen some of my I think there are two of my favorite moments in the series are just the two of you waiting at doors for the doors to open <laughs> and you can watch the entire history of this relationship and who these people are in your faces is there any direction in those moments there, there, there's two in particular that I'm thinking of before the the lunch we were talking about and then before the door opens the silence retreat yeah, yeah. <laughs> and both of you are so completely alive in this moment and your eyes are doing crazy things and it's everything is there a direction or is this this is just your relationship you know how to you just you go it's it is so instinctive with Sean and I I have to say like um Harry Bradville amazing director just constantly encouraging us just to do that because he did he never wanted to cut away from those scenes and wanted to hold them as two shots because we feel because the chemistry that is sort of natural between us and Sean's got a sister and I've got and I've got a sister we're both very close to our sisters but we also get that relationship yeah. totally and that and we kind of just slip into that role so easily um and I can just trust her so much like I've never really had to explain the scene to, mm-hmm. to Sean that often because yeah and also you know when you're very close to somebody who's written something she's known every little kind of little crappy little thing that I've ever written she's been there supported you know read or even performed a lot of the time and um and so she knows often what I'm trying to get at and she also just instinctively knows what it's like to have a <laughs> sister yeah. either be the anal one or have an anal one. right and uh and so a lot of it was just uh it was just yeah it was just us kind of playing at it <laughs> it works I, at, at the beginning you said that there was some misdirect in terms of the character Fleabag being sexually voracious that's not a misdirect I think that's yeah, that, no, that, that, that's, that, that, that's accurate yes that's accurate um, but I thought one of the ironies of the show is that for someone who seems constantly on the lookout for a one night stand or something mm. not making a connection there are no 
non-intimate characters on this show. Any in the beginning, you might see characters the um, the guy that she meets on the bus, the 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 presumably one night stand in the very first scene, mm. um, the bank manager that you were talking about. Mm. These are just comic moments. Um, they all come back. Yeah, they, she cannot escape the humanity of these people that she wants to put oh, in, so you say that. into these boxes. I thought that was a very interesting way to look at it. I don't, in, in the one hand, I was thinking, oh, maybe this comes from, from theater where you have the actor and so you can have them come back. But obviously <laughs> yeah. this was a one-woman show, so that wasn't the case. Yeah. She, she's, she's haunted by these people. She can't just dismiss them. Yes, exactly. I'm so glad you said that because when I was first adapting it and I'd written the pilot before even thinking about really what was going to happen in mm-hmm. the rest of the series and the pilot was sort of my favourite bits from the one-woman show. Right. And most of the bits that she's actually interacting with people in uh, in the one-woman shows and you know the bits that she, she describes rather than the rest of it's just audience address. And so they were kind of the scenes that were lifted and dramatised. And... Um, and the idea that char- these characters aren't just disposable, you know, these that these connections that you that you make, however flippant or um, how, however easily dismissed, that the idea that they do come back one way or another, they do def- end up defining you, who you are, even yeah. in a very, very even in a very small way. Um, and uh, so I, there was one moment when I was like, I want everyone who appeared in the pilot to come back, but the only one I couldn't quite squeeze in was the drunk girl on the um, yes on the thing. But um, if we go again, I'm going to find a way to bring her. Oh, back. the whole second season's about her. Was, <laughs> yeah, it's just Fleabag and drunk girl. She, she she put on Craigslist misconnections or something, and she's been <laughs> looking for her desperately the whole time. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's amazing because these characters, particularly uh, Hugh Dennis, who plays the bank manager, yeah. and he's just exceptional. Yeah. These characters who meet in a supposedly professional setting have a very unprofessional interaction, a very unpleasant interaction, somehow are capable of pulling out humanity from the other. Yeah. Like in, in this, you know, this bustling city and this, and it, and it leads to, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of laughter in the show, but there's really only one genuine laugh, I think, that comes at the very last scene. So we won't spoil that. Yeah, but yeah. that's the only one that feels <laughs> like it comes from a deeper place, right? It's not the superficial place or the place that's blocking the yeah blocking all the pain. And that someone's actually really surprised her. In yeah, caught of, her off guard. Yeah, right? in like a generous, just sweet way. Yeah, <laughs> rather than it being kind of you know pervy or. <laughs> well, well, there's the line that uh, other people have written about the show have quoted at length, but but when Fleabag lists the long, there's a laundry list of things that she likes about sex and why she's thinking about it constantly. But isn't what is it? Not she's not doesn't like the feeling of it. Right, but she doesn't like the feeling. Yeah. So yeah. everything but pleasure, and. Yeah. That's the slow revelation of the series is that she seems like a lot of fun, yes. but she's not having any fun. I know, yeah. I kept thinking the idea, like when I was um, just kind of milling around how to present her on a, in a kind of TV world, I kept thinking about the idea of meeting somebody at a party who is like the life and soul, who's like really quick-witted and fun, and yeah. everyone's standing around them, and they're having a brilliant time, and then they leave, and then the person next to you says, you know, that person's entire family just died yesterday in a car crash. Yeah. And like, what that would do to you, you know, you'd be like, yeah. and that kind of idea of someone just like brazening it out, yeah. and making sure that they are still, you know, witty and funny and on point, and in total control of everything in their life, and not to worry about them, and yeah. like, God forbid you try and expose their vulnerability in any way. Um, yeah, so that was the kind of that idea that she's a fun night out. <laughs> was really important. But, but then we wake up with her, and then with another yeah. episode and another yeah. episode. Um, the other striking thing about the pilot for people who haven't seen it, although I hope that you do, is that the character breaks the fourth wall and, and addresses us. And you know, I, in other shows and other movies, I've I found that I could I have found that distracting at times. Mm. Um, 
but as the series went on, I, I began to appreciate it more and more, not only because excellent double takes um, <laughs> and excellent looks at the camera. Rhythmically, it's terrific. But I, I don't think I'm, I'm the only one who found it strangely, maybe like discomfortingly familiar to be in a very heated emotional moment and feel like you've suddenly wandered into the wrong film. Mm. the way that she is. There are these mm. scenes with, with Harry who can be a very funny character <laughs> and the the nature, this is her boy, her live-in boyfriend, um, well, who lives in, move, moving lives out. Lives in and out, yeah. Out, yeah. <laughs> um, and the moment when suddenly she realizes he's not performing, you know, that he's very anguished, he's very hurt, he's very upset and she just doesn't want to be on that, doesn't want to be on that show, you know, wants to change the channel basically. Yeah. And I feel like that's a familiar feeling and so the ability, so it, 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 in that Realizing that the fourth wall breaking made a lot of sense to me oh, yeah, because I feel like we've all been in that moment where we want to say like, "Is this happening?" Yeah, get me out. <laughs> get me out, but you can't. But you can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're, you're trapped. Yeah, I think there was so much about. Um, I really, really didn't want it just to be a kind of um, throwing arch comment. It's like it's kind of arch commentary on the show as right. it's going as it's going along, or even just simply her in a monologue. Really, really wanted it to be a, a relationship on its on its own and that, that she's actually making you really complicit in her life and is constantly trying to she's a total control freak I decided that she's like I'm letting you in welcome my life is fantastic it's yeah. hilarious let me show you like the bits that I think are amusing and then it's, she just starts to really regret letting you in yeah. and then in the, sometimes you're her friend and sometimes she has to even in the emotional moments has to turn to you and acknowledge like you know that was you know what was that? Like, let's just look away. Just for a second, will you look away, please? Yeah. And that the idea of being witnessed the whole time and having to have a front the whole time. And then at the same time, wanting to make the audience feel like they're her wicked little friend. Right, along for the ride. There's a um, probably outdated stereotype in, in this country in terms of um, the dreaded network executive notes and how good ideas get noted to death. Mm. Um, in development, was there any step along the way people trying to make the character quote unquote this is the worst word in the world but likable that's the word <laughs> you or you know or trying to hammer out the um, the fourth wall breaking or the details that made it crucial to you no um, no it was a really Terrific. happy happy development process I think because it had been a play before and there was some uh, there was some trust in that that the play had been a success and that this character had had been portrayed in the same way and had been uh, considered as sort of, you know, unlikable or, you know, sort of, I don't know, edgy or or ghastly, <laughs> as she's been described by the British press. Nice. Um, that it's but that and that, that her redemption or there is redemption actually kind of, that, that it does go to, it does come to an end. Everybody knew that when we first started adapting it. And so there was a trust in the structure and what, what I was trying to do um, retrospectively once you get to the end, that feeling the audience goes, okay, now I understand her behaviour. I think maybe if there hadn't that hadn't been the case, and it would just been I want to write this character, this kind of like acerbic, badass, dismissive right. character that may that may have been a different journey. But no, they loved it. The BBC were just like what, who picked it up originally, and I made the pilot with uh, with the BBC, and then Amazon came on board later, having seen the pilot for the rest of the series. But basically, they were just like go hell for leather, <laughs> just. Uh, just go as dark because uh, I was like I promise you it will be funny I promise you that's, yeah. that's the thing it's a comedy and that's the one thing I promise and they're like great and then you can just just go wild with the rest of it keep pushing and uh, and the Amazon guys as well when they came on board they really loved the darker tones they loved that it. it felt like a drama at times yeah. it was switching so I was really really encouraged really, in the play I killed a guinea pig I strangled the guinea pig to death at the end and there's a moment they, when I thought <laughs> that was going to happen there's a moment when my TV trained brain was like oh she's holding it too tightly 
I know the correct amount of pressures. A guinea pig thorax is it's like paper. I know. And obviously you go there as well in your mind. You're like, could could she? Well, that's do I thing. want to see this? That's, I think I do. That's the sign of a successful show. If you have me wondering. Or even yeah, that it's yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Well, maybe I should have done it. They wouldn't let me do it, though. And I actually think that was correct. No, I, th- I think it was correct. But because just the fact that we wonder yeah. is enough. Yeah, yeah. What about the wall of plaster cocks? Is that something that BBC like wants to know more about? <laughs> and follow, quick follow up before you even answer: It is a national broadcasting company. What is the line item in the in the in the national budget for the crafting and display <laughs> of walls of, of cocks? The, the walls. Well, there was only one wall, I think. But. Yes, it was. It was the wall of cock. What was the line in the? I'm just. Cu- I'm curious. They were encouraging of that as well. They didn't expect their. Yeah. Maybe they had one already. I don't. I, <laughs> I haven't kept up. Um, I have to say, they were... No, actually, there was huge excitement at the idea of, of, of a wall of cocks. Oh, good. And um, that... I mean, the design team just... Um, it was Christmas, basically. Yes. <laughs> and actually, we didn't... We hadn't had a conversation about how they were going to do it. And um, <laughs> and they were just sort of like, trust us, we want it. We just... We know how to do it. And and um, there was a moment that I kind of hoped they were going to take plaster cast of the entire, like, crew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be... Guess who's... Guess who's is who's. But... Um, but human resources got involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think... Um, no, but that sort of thing, it was really funny. It was um, the, the kind of however explicit or sexually kind of uh, crude or twisted it got. Um, everyone was really behind that, as long as it felt rooted in the fact that she's it's not totally gratuitous. You know, right. like, like none of the sex scenes are, you know, are, are explicit. You don't see anything. You don't actually see any real... Bits. Willies or... Boobies or any of that. I don't think I've ever said boobies before. No, no one, certainly not on my podcast. No one's ever said it. So we're really breaking, breaking ground. I normally say tits and ass. Um, feeling strangely PG or something. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. It's because the woodworking made it feel much more yes, like yes. wholesome. And, uh, <laughs> um, and because you don't see any of that kind of stuff, I think we, we bought ourselves a lot of uh, explicit language and, and that and, and the wall of cocks. I actually don't know who took that home. That was my, uh, I had that question too. I basically all my questions that are left are about that. Yeah. Just, <laughs> the wall of yeah. Well, no, I think I'm bringing a very colonial mindset because here, you know, like Republican senators would get mad when federal money went to PBS to pay for like Agatha Christie mysteries. So I just have this vision that the UK must be even more liberal than I realized when someone like some backbencher is literally like and what was this line item budget for the BBC this year? Was this we paid for this woman to have a wall of cocks, you know? And then I would love to see uh, question time. Uh, I, I just feel like you. It, uh, it's a testament to uh, to the backbenchers that that question hasn't that hasn't that hasn't been challenged yet. That's kind of they go, yeah, sure, sure. But the thing they do question is the uh, the guinea pig. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, the guinea so, pig lobby is more powerful yeah, than the yeah, UK. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They wouldn't. Yeah, they feel very. They have. They have. The microphone. It's a fascinating country. I think. Really, <laughs> whatever you do, don't kill the guinea Just pig. Just don't kill the guinea pig. Have as many wall, have as many cocks on that wall as you want, and you know well, the, the references to it being her father's cock and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, sent that in. Yeah, and was going like, this is a ticking bomb until they say this is never going to happen right and they were just and, and they were like not even and david cameron was like i have more on my plate this week it's yeah just, he uh, he had he had really happy feedback to it you know he's probably <laughs> got his own wall of cock somewhere probably <laughs> wasn't there a pig involved with these stories yes that? yes probably yeah okay that's another show <laughs> so, um other story we'll we'll steer away from that story that's for the less pg political <laughs> podcast um i have to ask you also about working with the amazing olivia coleman who mm. plays your wicked 
stepmother mm. on the show, Fleabag's Wicked Stepmother. So I am a, like many people, I'm a huge fan of her work. I think she is yeah. just, she's a force of nature. She, and, and, but beyond that, she is generally a force of very anguished, miserable, intense nature. I mean, the things that she does on yeah. screen, um, like Tyrannosaur or, or Broadchurch especially, yeah. she can go there with a, like, a, a, a realness and an intensity yeah. that is just, I don't know other actors who can do that. So when she makes her first appearance on the show and she seems to be sort of a, you know, a hippie artistic kind of, mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, I clearly know why she did this because it's a laugh. <laughs> like she can have, she, I mean, she sold it. She was into it immediately. And yeah, I could yeah, tell, yeah, yeah. but I was like, this must be such a relief for her not to play a psychologically <laughs> tormented character. And then two episodes, three episodes later, she becomes <laughs> this evil, monster. this evil antagonist. <laughs> Um, what did did she relish it as much as she appeared to? And then yeah, I mean it was kind of tailored totally for her, really. Because um, and you had worked had, together on Broadchurch. Yeah, we're two. really good good mates, um, which is useful when you're making a pilot. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you want the most talented actress in, in that's the right. UK. Just pop around for and, her. Uh, and she saw the play originally, and she said um, she loved the play, and she was like, "If you ever want to do me to do anything," very sweetly, she was like, "Just let me know because you never know." And um, I'd written the pilot, and it was, the pilot was missing something. I hadn't realised at that point that it was missing Olivia Colman. Most shows without Olivia Colman, the thing that is missing I, is I think Olivia all Coleman. shows miss Olivia Colman. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, and when she said that, and I knew that she was saying it in earnest, and at this point it was it was just a pilot. It was you know it, was, it would have been half a day filming for her, and and uh, we had no idea what the future of it would be like. I said, I'm I'm calling you on that, <laughs> on that conversation that we had. Yeah. And the promise was that I really wanted to see her play somebody evil I just I just love that idea and because she has such goodness and she radiates kindness and goodness I just um yeah we were both relishing so much the idea that this 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 magician of um of meanness um was just such a glorious thing to see her do and that just because she knew you know and I was like you just have to see that this woman is she's so good at being good yeah. and being nice that no one else can see it no one can but see it. her and Fleabag they see each other and they kind of uh, and and that was just so fun it was so fun watching her it, it also played into my ongoing perception of British TV is just this like wonderful clubhouse where everyone is available all the time to just <laughs> pop into each other's shows and and you've worked inside this this is the world that you come from how accurate is this because and is it, or is it purely because you you go you sign up for a show you don't you're not locked into seven seasons it's just it's yeah. purely attributed to production because I just you know you, you one of the joys of watching British TV shows is oh that guy's in this one too and he was the star of that one but he's you know he's an assistant and this he's like he's basically the he, a secretary in this one yeah 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 and then he's in the, and it does seem it, for me it, this is the colonial mindset again it seems very theatrical not in terms of the performance but in terms of the we all have to pitch in and put on the show and I'll drop by your show and you can come by mine yeah is oh, it, I hadn't is, even thought about it like that it, it, but it does feel like that actually and I think possibly because a lot of the actors have come up through theatre and if you've done 10 years in theatre you yeah. know every actor so you've got it's a smaller <laughs> just, world it's a smaller world I imagine it's more like sort of New York in that way than yeah. when it's here but, um, but also people are just you know, there's, there, there is a certain level of um, actor that is just up for up for stuff there, and like Hugh Dennis is a perfect example. Like um, for doing yeah. Fleabag, um, again, it was just a tiny little comedy feed pilot. He's a really well-known name. He does loads of panel shows. He's um, done, did a show when he played a dad um, in something for like season, like for like multiple seasons, and he was just a kind of household name. But he was very, very comedy, and 
And when he came up as a name, the casting director was like, you know, what about him for this? We were like, you know, he'd never do it. He'd never do it. But when we called him, I had to have a conversation with him. And uh, he was like, you know, on the, on the phone, he was like, oh, I like it. I really like the script. I really like it. It's fine. He was like, but you know, you just never know, do you? And it was that attitude. Yeah. I was like, yes, Hugh. You just never know. And I promised him, I was like, this guy comes back. He's... He, that you know, in playing the trick with him of like you think somebody's insignificant yeah. at the beginning, and then they become the most significant. Flirty spoiler, but they become right. a very, very significant person to her at the very end. And um, and he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, because I was trying to sell it to him. He was like, but no, whatever. I like it. It's fun. And um, and when we were shooting it, it did have that sense of people just pulling together and going, you never know. And it did feel like a small, cozy world when we were doing that. Let's take a quick break before we get into talking about Peak TV or Peak Phoebe TV um, for a word from our sponsors. All right, we know it's a little rude to interrupt, but while we have your ear, let's have a brief conversation about manners. As the British like to say, manners maketh man. So it's no wonder that Jaguar's first ever compact sports sedan, the Jaguar XE, and their first ever performance SUV, the Jaguar F-Pace, are well-mannered. They both put you at ease the moment you enter, remain composed in almost any situation, and know when to make themselves heard. For the full Jaguar guide to manners, please visit jaguarusa.com. Thank you. Jaguar, the art of performance. I, I was going to ask um, if this idea that, that exists here at the moment um, exists in the UK television scene as well, which is this idea that we're sort of at peak TV, that there's just so many things to watch and so many the things TV's to do. The TV's just going to start exploding everywhere. Well, it might. Well, there's just there's so many things to watch yeah. and there's so many shows being made. Um, and then, of course, I remembered that you've made two shows this year, mm. which is truly remarkable, <laughs> and I don't quite understand it. So I, instead of asking you that, I think I need to ask you how you... Because your other series, Crashing, yeah. is on Netflix now mm-hmm. for people in this country who want to see it. And it's very funny, and it's very different than this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they both came out in 2016. And these are completely unique. They're separate series. You're in both of them. You wrote both of them. <laughs> yes. Explain that to me. <laughs> I don't It's all a bit of a blur, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> um, it all came about, really, because... It's not Peak TV, it's Peak Phoebe. It's <laughs> Peak Phoebe TV. Yeah. It's gonna be, I'm just going to stop now before we get sick of it. It's, um, so I had written um, a bunch of short plays, and a production company, Big Talk, who ended up making Crashing, had come to see that. They liked that. They were like, let's find something, like write a pilot. I wrote the pilot for that, and it got put at the bottom of a pile right. at Channel 4. Channel 4's office as just one of the millions of scripts they've got to read but then the main kind of turning point was Fleabag at Edinburgh Festival the play was a kind of hit there and then suddenly you know my script was just drawn out from moved up yeah the pile. it was like suddenly they're like you know what let's read what, what she sent in before and so at the same time that the BBC were after Fleabag and they were like let's make a pilot it's the exact same time that they were moving forward with it with with the, the channel Channel 4 which is weird because I'd kind of moved into a very different place like writing place yeah. and just mental space and I, mean, I wrote that first pilot for crashing like years before like in my early like 20s and um and so I kind of had to and then so they they commissioned it first and then it was just like really quickly knowing that Fleabag was gonna come was gonna happen later but having to do do justice to my 22 yeah. year old self with this I was like I've got to tell this story of these characters and so um yeah so I basically just locked was just locked in a room chained to a desk by two different <laughs> production companies <laughs> and just wrote um, wrote until I and until I um, like almost just ate, ate my own hands just because <laughs> I was so hungry <laughs> it was my, it was just like a cop yeah it doesn't really mean it when I say it's blurry it was amazing it was a baptism of 
of um, of like happy fire. Happy, happy fire is a beautiful idea. Well, <laughs> but because that is a, that is a transition for I think any writer to go from doing things on your own time for yourself and you yeah. know having fun. Oh, this maybe this is a one woman show or maybe this is a feature spec or whatever. Yeah, and then no suddenly, one's watching and no one cares. And then suddenly it, it's production, yeah. and then all the things that you did on your own schedule now you're doing on someone else's yeah. and it's supposed to be as good or better yeah and i'm a real last minute person like i will spend a I, lot i can't believe that this time. Is, or, or is that evidence of the fact that both shows were 2016 shows <laughs> yeah probably it was like that was clearly like the year yeah that, that was my kind of deadline year um yeah i kind of i find it so painful sitting down with like knowing i've got loads of time yeah <laughs> and actually the play came about because um the producer of my theater company um francesca heard that somebody liked the 10 minute short version of it that I did at this kind of stand up storytelling night she heard somebody say oh that was good someone should take that to Edinburgh and she just was like yeah okay I'm going to find a space in Edinburgh found a space and just emailed me saying you've got six weeks to write Fleabag before opening night that's the ideal situation because if you'd been given 12 you would have used six anyway or if you'd been given 18 it would have been the same I just don't know what I'd have no idea what would I, I guess yeah I would always have written it in a, in a matter of weeks always there's no way I'm ever no going to be prepared and the same thing with crashing they were like commissioned it and I was very excited and then I just kind of panicked for, yeah. for like 70% of the time sure and um, so I'm sure I'm, you're nodding like you're the same <laughs> I think all writers the, the, the only well, thing we all can bond over is panic yes I think so and it's so productive but I do have a couple of really irritating um, <laughs> really irritatingly brilliant organised oh. writer friends oh I thought you were going to say tips and I was so excited oh god no oh, god okay. no I've got nothing to give <laughs> but um, yeah who like get off on handing it in a day early I mean that to me is um, it's insane it's doing other writers a disservice <laughs> yes I agree well th- this is this is the thing that I struggle with I, I, it's one thing to always put everything off and do everything at the last minute and feel miserable and have the misery be the process and understand sure. but it's another thing to be at peace with that and I you know been writing things professionally for quite some yeah. time I'm not at peace with the process I feel <laughs> like I the people who are okay with it are the real success stories. Yeah. But every time, to be like, really? Every time I'm going to go through this? I know. That's what Why? I don't get. Why? And I've got um, I know a writer who says that he, um, he says every now and again he just takes two weeks and he just goes to the Cotswolds or somewhere really beautiful in the UK and he just watches movies and reads books oh, and, he, and he knows that that's how he recharges. I thought you were going to say right and I was like, what a no, no, what jerk. A Ugh. <laughs> and he says, but he says he goes for long walks, long walks and stuff and I think, and I was like, gosh, that sounds just so delightful. Yeah. And he said, then he recharges and he gets rid Then he comes back and then he'll just write for a week and everything will come out. And that two weeks of watching yes. TV and reading and going on walks will be still be the same level of panic. Yes. I mean, I cannot relax. Into- no, I couldn't. He's right. I mean, everything that I've heard and everything that I've even almost, almost grazed with the fingers I reached <laughs> for it suggests that that's true, that the recharging... You're yeah. doing. The, you're recharging your battery. You have to remember that you're a creative person and engage with creativity yeah. and art and being in a calm place. But you can do that. Ugh, yeah, it, I don't... to everyone else, it looks like you're on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> but have you ever met a writer? Like I've met a couple writers. I have one writer friend who likes writing. That is. Um, and I that's just, very unnerving. It's awful. Yes. He's like, oh, it's fun. Which part? Perhaps they're a psychopath. I think that's plausible. I think <laughs> everyone likes having written. There's no feeling better in the world than having written. Yeah, yeah. God, that's so true. But also that weird moment when you feel like when you're actually writing and something pops out and you go, oh, and something else takes over slightly. Like when I was writing the play and obviously Boo is, mm-hmm. um, 
Boo's dead. The character's dead in the, in the show. But she, when I was writing the play, I had no idea that was going to happen. I was writing, I was writing, I was writing this weird storyline about there were seven guinea pigs. Before there was one <laughs> guinea pig, I killed off six guinea pigs. There was like seven guinea pigs. And she had like, oh God, there was just so many weird arms to this, to this draft. And then when I was writing it, I just suddenly sort of freewheeling and wrote that Boo had died in this weird accident and, da, da, da. and then I was like ooh yeah. I was like this is good this is good and you do feel like something else is taking over but I knew I was like now that is good and that when you get that little gem and you just kind of want to hold it in your hand like this little thing it like, makes it all worth it good it's good it's good and you can have weeks and weeks of of you know hating everything but then you find that little moment but then you wish that you could have access to that all, all the, the time. time if it's there maybe I it's know. the Cotswolds yeah, maybe it is the Cotswolds that maybe we should try good. the Cotswolds I'm going to try it <laughs> or like speed I know some people that write on speed in the Cotswolds that would be very discordant so it's one or the other so it's one massive amphetamines yeah. or bucolic countryside and there's no middle ground god writing is the worst um, I, sh- I shouldn't keep you too much longer but I, I did want to ask because we were talking about it before we started you've been here in LA um, doing promotional rounds and, mm. and going to these bizarre parties um, how how is this experience for you because I feel like you've done the most important thing you've you've made this work and you've controlled this work and you've made it and it's just absolutely exceptional it's a great series and then you come to this place which you know i've only been here three weeks but Mm. in my limited experience is really a place of what's next what else have you got what else can you do what's next and how do you feel about that not not even how do you answer that but how do you make sure that you can protect what you've already done and what you might want to do without having falling prey to the um the parties that have the free mini tequila (laughs) bottles which which are great, let's be honest. <laughs> Wait, just as dressed as peasant girls handing out tequila bottles. Which is a thing. I mean, it, it is a thing. It happened. Um, on one level, it's so, I find it, like, oxygenating because the moment you've finished something, like you say, the best feeling is you've finished it, you've made it, and people like it, and there is no better... A more validating feeling than mm-hmm. that obviously um, and then the idea of like oh, I can also park that now and that kind of like hellish paradise of writing that <laughs> of writing that yeah. whole show is like can sort of just sit over there for a bit and then you start thinking about other things and I love that how that opens your mind up but at the same time it's that same thing of not of, of like it being a blur not knowing how you did it and then everyone's like my god you're really good at writing do it uh, again do it again can you do it again right now please and um and then all that self-doubt creeps in a little bit i feel like what i need to do is um commit fully to the carousel of parties while uh, <laughs> well in la i agree um commit two thousand percent and then probably go back to the Cotswolds yeah, say. <laughs> and write a play probably like knowing what, where where you started and, um, and I'm sure every agent that you've met with in Hollywood is so thrilled that you just said the P word because <laughs> the, they love nothing more than the theatre our most talented people let's have them or, or you could do poetry I think they'd be yes. equally enthused or maybe a long magazine article I want to write a haiku over the next six months that I wanted to tell the real subtext of my soul but, um, but you're committed that's what matters yeah. committed yeah I mean I know that's really what I should do but the um, but like you say like TV is so so exciting at the moment and people are giving you longer and longer and longer leads you know they're like yeah. saying just go and we'll leave you alone we'll just, and, so and do the whole just, thing before you do it and it's not yeah. just yeah it's really like genuinely experimental I think now in a way that theatre has been forever right and, and uh, that you can just do whatever you want. You can follow your nose in a way that you haven't really been able to do with TV before. It's been quite controlled. And so, I don't know, I kind of want to do it all and, and 
and hide away at the same time. <laughs> That's a good feeling to chase. I, now that I've set up a very healthy binary where the, the, the executives and the agents are the other demanding more from you and I'm not on their side, <laughs> what is next for you? <laughs> no, but, but you mentioned that you were cons- that the idea of a second series is out there, but you don't, you have yeah, yet to commit. Yeah, it's sort of percolating. I'm, I'm feeling like I really desperately, 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 I love this character so much. I love the... Um, I love the idea of coming up with the perfect um, new story for her, new chapter. But to me, it would have to be completely different because the flash, the use of flashbacks and the use of kind of that rising tension of mm-hmm. of actually we don't, she's not giving us the full truth or or who she really is. I know that's what was kind of making it special for me, and it the the. the, the, the <laughs> Still quite jet lagged. The catharsis. It's it, it, if you call the that mini like bottles a of tequila, that's that's jet lagged. Sure, <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, jet lagged tequila makes me rap catharsis. Um, I uh, yeah, if I can find a new like a new opening for her, um, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, um, that would be yes, ideal. Well. But I'm also not. I'm also uh, yeah taking into consideration that it might it might have been a completed story, and actually that's kind of exciting as well to to ask that question like maybe I should just leave it it's remarkable that, that they would let you do that I mean because yeah. it's not an American TV thing where there's an expectation of an option or a second yeah. season you yeah can actually I don't actually know if there is I may be saying this and actually I'm completely <laughs> yeah there's actually someone I've from Amazon like, at the door banging <laughs> right to jail um, yeah I'd love to and actually the challenge like you know I said at the beginning like the idea that she still has to wake up the next day she still has to go on yeah and um, and that they have you know, she she would have new stories in real life, and I it's a it's a it's a challenge worthy of uh, having a go at. I think. Isn't it funny the way we we can compartmentalize things and and talk about challenges like they're great when <laughs> you're not actually sitting in front of a laptop? Because the way you said it was very inspiring, it's very exciting. It and, and, you're, and it's true. You were being very honest. I believe it's really yeah. accurate. But then yeah. But it's just the actual process of it. My God, it's so painful. But then I have started now. I had a, a like a. I've always got a draft email up on my uh, Gmail of like ideas and oh, stuff. I thought you think to my manager saying I quit. <laughs> <laughs> you always keep the draft open. I'm saying I just really want to be a ballet dancer. Yeah. Actually. I think it's time. Um, and um, I had a draft email which was like Fleabag series two for ages, and it was just empty, like no <laughs> ideas. And over the last couple of weeks, having taken some space away from it, so, well, apart from all the press stuff, but I have started filling it up a bit which is which is exciting because that that's just the that's just the wall that you throw the shit at and there's little tiny little bits of in the draft email draft bit, yeah don't accidentally draft. send it no i know no. it's like it's only addressed to me oh good so. that would be worst yeah, yeah, case yeah, yeah. do you not do that do you not have a, a like a list or notes or i do but i don't put it in an email because i feel like that's just asking for it oh. <laughs> where I do. do you keep it I, like i use the um i'll either use the notes app yeah. or i have a, like a word doc that has a name that's basically like you know, it's basically an insult to me. You know, that's like you're ter- you're terrible at this, or like, or, or recently I put one because I'm supposed to be writing a book that says, "I'm sorry, I am writing a book." My, ed- my editor listens. That says, uh, "I love TV." Very good. Because it's just you want to get in the right mindset. Yes, that's yeah. very very good. And I call up that document and I say, "What was I thinking when I wrote these things?" But then it moves to the better document. Then you take it away, and you edit. Things don't you want to be able to access it wherever you are. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> God, no, because I can be, like, I've escaped right now. I can't access it now, so I couldn't possibly work. That is wise. Maybe I'm haunting myself with my own bad no, ideas. That's, that's why you have two TV shows on this year, despite your protestations. Because I carry my list around yeah. with me. Yeah, like, a, like a ball and chain of art. Of horrible ideas. Well, they're not horrible. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go on that, but because uh, clearly you have a lot of work to do. Uh, yes. Uh, no, no yes. pressure. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank to me. You. Fleabag so is uh, on Amazon streaming right now, and you should watch it. Thank you.